Peter, let's be honest up front. Uh, I say this now as it is the middle of August. And we knew there would be just deep testing waters. And I have to look forward and prepare ahead. I'm so fucking sick of being a trending topic, Peter. And it's the goal of my profession is to have all eyes on you. That's the goal of being a wrestler. All eyes on me. I'm over it because I'm tired of trying to explain nuance to dumbasses and I'm tired of trying to uh, understand why people who can't accomplish anything think they're accomplishing something by talking about other things. And here's the dumbest take of all. And I'm going to get we'll get to talking about the fucking match. That's cool. No, I'm not the fucking champion, Peter. Uh, Let me just say this, Peter, because I just said it to you and I want the world to hear how fucking dumb people are. It was suggested that I forced John Moxley to do gay shit. You're laughing at this, Peter. These are real things people have said. I don't know if they've said them in uh, true confidence of self, if they're just saying it to get under my skin. This is as under my skin as you're going to get, is me just telling the fucking truth. Yes. Yep. I pulled John Moxley aside. I said to the former member of The Shield, to former heavyweight champion, tag team champion, U.S. champion, and current AEW world champion and GCW champion, former G1 Climax participant. Uh, I said, John Moxley, if you don't do some gay shit, I'm going to ruin your life. You better do it. You're in my fucking yard. You're in my house, motherfucker. If you don't do some gay shit, I'm going to I'm gonna beat your ass in front of God and my country, and I'm going to ruin everything. No, you fucking idiots. God, I listened to a podcast clip the other day from someone with common sense. I believe it was a guest, Zeke, that was on the Sorgatron show. And they were saying, if you look at my fucking matches, if you look at the list of fucking matches I've had, Matt Cardona and Jimmy Jacobs and PCO and Mike Bailey and Minoru Suzuki and Charlie Haas and Pimpinella Escarlata and Jeff Jarrett and fucking John Moxley... Yeah, guess what, you dumb motherfuckers? It's fun to work with Effie. People seek out working with Effie. People enjoy themselves when they're with Effie. And God, here's one to blow your fucking mind. Effie gets pitched gayer shit than Effie comes up with, you stupid motherfuckers. They come to me because I'm helping them loosen their goddamn collar. I'm helping them get into the groove. And I'm helping them understand that all of you stupid fucking wrestling journalists are make-believe. You're fucking make-believe. All of you. Because this is entertainment. Can you imagine devoting your life to going out and just... Uh, where other people are having a nice night out on the town and having a cocktail and going, that was a fun adventure. And you've devoted your life to talking about it as if it is the real reality of the world. I am an entertainer, Peter. I show up and I fill 20 minutes of a fucking segment with some of the most entertaining shit you've ever seen. But if you like statistical kayfabe and grappling and match records and Uh, learning the names of holds, which all are made up. It's all fucking made up. All hold names and move names are made up, you stupid idiot. You stupid fucking encyclopedia of dipshittery, thinking that you're magic because you know the name of a wrist lock, you dumb fucker. Look at me. I am an entertainer. And you know what? You should feel fucking stupid for obsessing over what I do. Unless you're obsessing over what I do because you're going, that Effie, he's fucking entertaining. I would like to buy a t-shirt from him and support the arts. 
But anything else, you're all so fucking stupid. Sorry, Peter. Welcome to Weekend at Effie's, you dipshits. Not the listeners, but the people who are tuning in because they found this clip. There are people who are just tuning in because they found this clip. They're going to find this clip of me being fired up. Um, I'm going to keep... We still have people fighting in the comments section of that one TikTok. Hey, baby. It's okay. I'm just in the middle of recording the podcast. It's fine. Why don't go by the library? I'm not going by the library. I'm still getting a library card. Okay. I'll stay away from it. Love you. Bye. There's a shooting at the library. <laughs> oh, God. Are you at the library? I just talked to him, and I said, I'm going to record my podcast. And he said, are you at the library? <laughs> I know you think about going to the library. Are you at the library? Hi, it's Weekend at Effie's. This is Effie, uh, your fun, good time companion every week, just vibing out. This week, going to do some more of it, more vibing, fighting Gringo Loco, going to fight George South. Uh, Peter, I'm fucking tired. Can you tell? We're going to get a different vibe today, and that's just, it is what it is. Okay, I've made it through the wilderness. I've had a great time. We had a very fun weekend. It's a very exciting weekend, but I've had to sit at home and look at all the dumbasses talking about Effie. I should get used to it. Is that the is that the message, Peter? Am I being taken step by step through just dumbassery? I had to, I had to edit one of my tweets today. Because I said, I'm 6'1 and 200 pounds and I'll beat your ass. Which I walked in today and you said, you look like a South Carolina trucker. So I'm taking it. I'm kind of into it. I want to look kind of like, yeah, I'll fucking kill you. You want to do a fun spot or you want me to kill you? Is that what you want? I want that vibe uh, because this is unhinged Effie. They're about to set me free. We're going to have to sell unhinged shirts. Now I will say this too. I'm in the middle of booking this gay brunch still. People are like, how are you still booking the gay brunch? Because it's a nightmare, Peter, to do. And I I reached out to Billy Dixon recently, not for any help or assistance, because they've also run shows before, and I can kiki with my sister. Uh, yeah, it is, we both agree it's a nightmare. She goes, why are you still doing this shit? Why are you still putting everybody on? Because it's going to be a great show for people. It's an awesome show. It is fun. I will end up having fun. But I'm trying and I hold myself to a certain standard of making sure that these are the best events possible. And so sometimes uh, you have to go through a lot of stress to get to the best event possible. But I think we're going to do it. I think we're going to have fun. And if we don't have fun, you better lie to me because it better be fun for everyone. Everyone better be having fun. Right, Peter? Yeah. You having fun? Yes. God, dude, what is what is going to happen to me? Uh, you've, yeah, we've talked about this before, but the, all the cute stuff that you've had happen in the past little bit, like all the good career kind of things, it's all going to flip itself in a way. Yeah. Uh, More more of like an aggravating kind of thing though. But yeah. So I think recently, like the other day I was talking about, we talked about Brad Pitt on the show, but more in line of like. You ever have a conversation with someone about a celebrity of any type and they're like, but I think they're an asshole or like I heard they were rude. I can't wait. Like it is so much fun to meet Effie right now. But as I sort of enter this like 
godfather role, which I'm starting to like try to own and understand, uh, there will be certain people who are like, I don't know. I heard Afi was an asshole and someone else will finally be like, yeah, he had to be because people are so fucking dumb sometimes. And so of course he was an asshole. So I think as people start to call you an asshole or start to think you're an asshole, then you're probably just sticking to your guns on certain things. And there are certain things like that you would say that like the concept of uh, being in a feud with a legend, you know, eight months ago would be incredible. We love it. We love feuds with legends. But now I'm going like, I'm not helping you, girl. I'm not helping you get back in here. You're going to come make more money than me off of me, you stupid idiot. No way. I'm trying to watch my uh, how I'm referring to people today. I feel like stupid idiots, okay? But sometimes I can be a little creative with my rudeness. And then, like, in a week, once again, Peter, there'll be some fucking diatribe think piece about how I called somebody a, a balloon fucker or something, you know? They'll be like, Effie's use of balloon fucker is actually marginalizing the balloon fucking community. And we actually call it uh, ballooning because we don't think of it as fucking because the balloon didn't agree to be there, nor is it sentient. Is this too deep? No, I'm. I flash back to middle school and having cable TV for the first time once moving to the states, and you know, just being like a horny little twelve year old. You're always trying to find like whatever skips past the parental like lockdown on there. And I remember, remember Fuse, Fuse, yes, the TV channel Fuse. Mm-hmm. They had like an after hour sex show, and the one time that I was like around and my parents weren't home to watch it. It was just a woman popping balloons between her legs. And that's all that I'm thinking about right now. Those balloon fuckers. (laughs) Uh, I put over the BJ Novak movie the other week, uh, Vengeance, right? I I keep thinking about that movie all the time. And there's this, and I'm not, I don't want to give anything away, but there's a scene with Ashton Kutcher and BJ Novak talking about sort of if you do something, it doesn't matter what you do because no matter what you do, now it's just going to become part of the discussion because people will be like, what he did was bad. And everybody will be like, that was bad. It was so bad what he did. And then somebody will come out and be like, I don't think it was bad at all. I think it was good. I think it was great what he did. And so everything just becomes a point of discussion and communication rather than like a finite thing of like, he killed a girl. That's not good. He should go to prison. Now it's like whether or not he goes to prison or if he's ever caught for anything or if he even did kill that girl, we're going to have the discussion and we're going to take both sides fiercely. And it's not really going to matter that anything happened at all because I just wanted to take a position on things. I'm going to keep doing whatever I fucking want in a wrestling ring, Peter. I'm going to keep continuing to put on for my fans. What's confusing uh, is that all these people want to talk online with their Alexa Bliss profile photos about what Effie's doing or trying to attack Effie or uh, people like Effie even. And uh, it's never Alexa Bliss. It's always a grown man with a an Alexa Bliss profile picture. And they never they're never at the shows. When I'm at the shows, when I'm there live with the people who paid for the ticket or who are paying to watch on pay-per-view, it is always positive and exciting and people love it and they cheer. Right, like if I was doing this in front of a silent room, if Effie was going out every night and people were like, "I don't even know what I'm looking at. I don't want to see this. Get to the next thing," it would be one thing. But when people are uproariously out of their seat and uh, metaphysically horny for what 
is being put in front of them, then um, I think you're just trying to sound like you have an opinion that's not everyone else's so that you seem unique or cool or exclusive when in reality you're not Alexa Bliss and she'll never even look at you in the eyes. Isn't that sad? It's really sad. I don't know who that is. Well, I, in grand Effie fashion, began this weekend by risking it. (laughs) Risking it. And I was risking it with one of my good friends who we discuss a lot on the show, Dark Chic. So I didn't feel as scared risking it when both of us were risking it. Because if we both fail, then we both fail. We both had monumentous matches this weekend on different days. Dark Chic on Sunday fought Maki Ito, the world's cutest wrestler, uh, who also sang at Zack Ryder's wedding, Matt Cardona's wedding. And that looked so ridiculous. It was the most... Like, I had a tag match earlier in the show... And I also had to like declare that Bussy is in the War Games match. Five teams are entering the War Games. We had to do a declaration. We'll get to it later. Allie was actually in the wedding too. She, she was a part of three segments of this wedding and or of the show, which included the wedding. And it went on for damn near an hour. This show, I often think when I'm booking Big A Brunch, like it can't be so long. Like it would be ridiculous if it's really long, whatever. This was longer than the whole wrestling show. And ended in bloodshed. And Matt Cardona's mom was perfectly fucking pissed. Because he promised her over and over, there will not be blood at my wedding. How could he have known that Nick Gage would run out in the showboat with purple light tubes and wreck the whole wedding? I don't know. How could he have known? He couldn't have known. Maybe he didn't lie to his mom at all. But here's me risking it. Friday, we went to Denver before we went for my match against John Moxley and Dark Sheik's match against Maki Ito. Kind of a marvelous thing to go. The last time we tried to go to Denver... The flight's all canceled, and I'm going like, yeah, fuck it, let's go. Let's go to Denver. So we went, and we made it to Denver, and that's the first step, because getting to Denver is one thing, but now we have to get to New Jersey, too. We'll get to that. I landed. I found Dark Chic. I found Edith Surreal. I found uh, my good friend, Sean. Now, Sean, I've known since middle school. Oh, wow. And we went to school in South Carolina together. We both went to Riverside. Uh, he now works in the cannabis industries out there and that's very helpful in a lot of ways for me as someone who, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, is a customer of the cannabis industry. I was trying to think, I don't want to say I fund the cannabis industry because that would be, it'd be incorrect, right? We get together, we vibe a little time on the town and then it's time for Lucha Libre and Laughs. Now, this is a confusing promotion for some people because they don't really attract hardcore wrestling fans. Like, there's some definite wrestling fans there, but there were also 500 people there. And a lot of them are just there because it's like lit and rowdy and crazy and in your face and they can get drunk. And so Fun. it's this huge theater. It's got a balcony. The, the ring is on the stage. And I was fighting someone who I've fought before, which was Anaya. And now I fought Anaya at Lucha Libre and last before I left bleeding. I fought Anaya's brother, Hoodie Howlett, at Lucha Libre and last before I left bleeding. And Bussy actually fought them as a tag team at Journey Pro in Kansas City. I don't think I left bleeding that day, but I think I left in a lot of pain. But I was saying that light, the likelihood of me oopsie bleeding into this weekend of mayhem would be pretty high. I was like, if it happens, it happens, right? So we go have this like full just brawl crazy he tries to throw me off a balcony i try to throw him off a balcony there's a lot of back and forth of destructive behavior but i sort of was looking at it like hey this is my uh this is my my warm-up 
against the world champion, John Moxley, who's a physically large man like Anaya, who will do all kinds of chaotic things, like try to throw you into chairs like Anaya. Uh, and we're in the Denver uh, height, which like you'll hear comedians talk about like working in Denver and it's the, the altitude gets to you. Yeah. You're out of breath, you get sickness, you get crazy. So I know this and it's crazy to wrestle in Denver if you're not usually there because you're literally a mile in the sky and you can't breathe and you're blowing up and you're sweating a lot and it's difficult. And you're like all of these factors from this large man to the chaos, to the altitude are a primer for me to go against John Moxley. Right? Like I'm fully prepared. I did not win the match. I don't know if I actually lost the match because, well, no, I did. Okay. So this motherfucker hit me with a belt, which I was like, am I bleeding? I was not bleeding. And I got pissed, and then I he threw the belt at me, and I caught it, and then he spit on me. And I was like, you motherfucker. You ruining this. So I hit him with the belt. Well, the referee was up by then. Boom, DQ, I don't win. And then his brother tried to come. He hit me with the belt again. Punched me in the face with the belt. And then they tried to beat me up, sat on their faces. Double sat on their faces. Now, when you're in town with people you know, like obviously... If you've ever been, well, you've been around me at a show. I'm a little slow to get out or get ready or get changed or do anything, Peter. And that's because once I'm in my work uniform, uh, I'm going to ride it out as long as I can. And then I'm going to get back in my regular clothes down the line. But uh, in this particular situation, it was taking me a very long time. And my flight with Dark Chic was at 5.45 a.m. And that's very early in the morning. So we still decided after getting changed, after taking forever, it's 1230. I was like, let's go hang out with my friend Sean and his friends. We'll be very quick about it. We'll segment this in life. And so we went over there for like an hour, played Uno, and then went to bed. And by went to bed, I mean like we napped for an hour and a half or something at that point. But we did get to Denver. We got through security quite easily, got on the plane, boom, made it to New Jersey. How magic is that? I really didn't think we'd make it to New Jersey. Now, you know I made it to New Jersey if you listen to the podcast because obviously there was tweets of me in New Jersey on multiple days. But today, this Saturday that I landed, uh, was a very big day, right? And I knew in my heart, like, if I think about this all day, it's going gonna, it's gonna to waste me away, right? Like, I can't. John Moxley's not showing up till showtime. We're the main event. It's 1130 in the morning. Let's try to just enjoy the time that we have here. So Bussy Sister Allison picks us up and we're going to see Lady Gaga in a few weeks here in Atlanta at the Brave Stadium, which I'm trying to find a polite gay way to make this joke, but it'll be the first time a lot of Gaga fans have ever seen a baseball stadium, which I am excited for them to go like, what is this? This is incredible. Where's the other half? It's like, so they can hit the balls over there, you know, for a home run. Oh, we're going to have a good time. But Allie actually went to see Lady Gaga in New Jersey, got some floor seats. I will say this. I was kind of excited that her floor seats were not as good as the floor seats we got. We're going to be right up next to Lady Gaga. I told her, I said, Allie, we're so close to Lady Gaga, she might ask you to play bass guitar. So I hope you were studying her bass guitar player over there. She picks us up, and it's not just me. It is me. It is the dark sheik who I've been with, and it's Nick Wayne. Which, like, Dark Sheik has wrestled for 20 years. Me and Allie Katz were both, you know, adults when it comes to, uh, like, age in wrestling. And then it's like, 
the three parents and Nick Wayne. And Nick Wayne's just vibing it. He's feeling it. He doesn't care. This is a two-hour drive. We have to go to we have to go to Atlantic City from Newark, which Philly to Newark or Philly to Atlantic City, about an hour. Uh, Atlantic City to Newark is like two and a half hours, and it's long. And shout out Sam Roberts for understanding we were not going to make it to the interview. Bussy was supposed to do an interview with Sam Roberts, would have been lit, would have given even more press and more time to, uh, I guess, trend. I'm over it. I'm going to try not to trend this weekend. You think that's going to work? Probably not. It's not going to work, is yeah, it? I'm oh. thinking back to the beginning of this and how that's going to get clipped out. So, oh, We make this journey, and there's not a lot of good accessible food in New Jersey. I'm sorry. It's a lot of like Wawa and McDonald's and service plazas. So we choose the service plaza and in the service plaza, everything is like, okay, so first it's John Bon Jovi themed. Like it's a John Bon Jovi service plaza. Oh, John Bon Jovi. Is yes. that? Oh, my and they goodness. try to put all the New Jersey celebrities in this. So like you'll be sitting at the Ed Harris table uh, there's a Jack Nicholson wall. And then there's like, they're like, nah, we run it. We're running out of New Jersey people. Walt Whitman's there. So half the, half the things will be like Bobby Brown who does makeup, not Bobby Brown who does dances and uh, Whitney Houston, Bobby Brown who does makeup. It'll be like living in New Jersey is the best way to meet the people of the world. And then it'll be like Walt Whitman. It'll be like some line from his fucking poem book. And you're like, y'all, Y'all could have asked everybody about living in New Jersey, but you had to include Walt Whitman and just like whatever quote you could find. And I don't think he should be included. I think we need so, to. So no uh, Billy Joel? I'm sure Billy Joel's somewhere there, but this was like no, more no of a. Sopranos? Uh, I didn't see like a, is Gandolfini actually from New Jersey? I feel like you should just throw it in there. Yeah. You kind of just like it. What? Like At the rules were kind of out the window. Yeah. Walt Whitman, dude. Like I'm not, I'm not saying Walt Whitman's a bad dude, but like. Could I kick his ass? Yeah. Does Jersey want to claim Walt Whitman? Oh, yeah. That's our poem lord? I don't know. Somebody let me know if you're like, if you're in Jersey and you're really into Walt Whitman, uh, feel me out. But he felt really out of place here. There was another Jersey legend, though, that was here. And I went and I got my Sbarro's pizza because, you know, it's New Jersey. I want to honor the Italian legacy. Shout out, Yo-Yo. But right next to that is uh, the cake boss. He has his own cake vending machine okay and this is a vending machine full of cake and i thought well this will be you don't have to like make a whole scene out of you getting cake like it's just go to the vending machine like have a slice you don't have to wait in the cake line i <laughs> i tap my card to get the piece of cake and it starts playing the like italian song <laughs> like really loud so it's like and that's not where it stops because then the cake boss starts going it's me the cake boss you're here at the cake boss store in a vending machine and so like i'm standing at the cake machine and this whole service plaza can hear the festivities going on as i get the cake to which alley catch is in another food line across and moving to New Jersey has been very good in a lot of ways for Alley Catch. No offense to the people of New Jersey. She's fitting right in. She starts yelling, what kind of cake did you get? <laughs> and me being uh, an absurdist, I looked at her and I just yelled, cake. <laughs> and I just 
kept yelling cake and pointing at the cake machine. And she said, no, what kind of cake? And we go, it's a cake machine. And the song is playing and I'm holding pizza and everyone, <laughs> it is. Sometimes I lean into the absurdity, Peter. And in this moment was no different. I got my cake. We all got our delicious meal. It was the soggiest ass Sabaros pizza I've ever had. It was covered in weird slices of meat that I assume were sausage, but it was like square sausage, but not, I don't know. There was a, it was a weird, as far as Italian tradition goes, my whole stop at the service center was just spitting in the face of every Italian grandmother with my cake vending machine and my wet Sabaros square sausage pizza. But you know what? It was the most New Jersey thing I could ask for on this drive. We got to the showboat pretty fucking late, I got to be honest. And Peter, I got to tell you, like, there's a certain... Effie is very good at doing all the things that you have to do, which is like appearing and signing and cutting a promo and doing this. But it's getting to the point, too, where like, hey, Effie, we need you to come cut a promo for this. And I'll be like all right, I'll be down in a bit. And I go upstairs to like get myself in order. And I have like 30 text messages from all sorts of people telling me I got to get down and cut my promo. And I think that as you, well, I think this is the big picture I'm trying to get at Peter. All of these things that we look at in celebrity from the outside, not that I'm like an A-list Catherine Zeta-Jones superstar, which she looks beautiful for the Adams Family shoot. Yeah, that wasn't you in Entrapment? It wasn't. It was not me yet. But, but, all of these things you that you sort of... think she fucked Sean Connery? Do I think Catherine Zeta-Jones fucked Sean Connery? Yeah. Oh, multiple, multiple okay. times. Okay. Yeah, and I think Michael Douglas uh, agreed to it at some point. You know, I gotta tell you... Uh, you can have Catherine Zeta-Jones. You can have her. She's been at the house too long. Her hair is everywhere. Could you just take her from me? Well, of course I can. I don't know. That was a weird comment. That was a really... Oh, Did you like my Michael Douglas? Yeah, no one can do that accent. Yeah, my, it's yeah. so uh, I don't know if I can go back to it now, but I was really... I was in a Michael Douglas... That's amazing. <laughs> I can't do it. Um... All of the things we associate with celebrity, the sort of up and down, the Britneyism of superstar to why is she acting weird to what is this? What I'm understanding as someone who is studying this uh, in real time is it all makes sense. And I'm going to continue giving you the in avenue of it, but it's sort of like, of course, these people start to act like assholes when everywhere they walk, there's someone asking someone of them. And it's not just like, oh, will you sign a piece of paper or take a picture? It's like 30 people at the same time telling you the, the task you need to achieve that really you're like, I don't have to do any of this shit. I can just turn my phone off right now and I'll show up for my match and it won't make a fucking difference. And I'll go, eh. but you do it and you cut the promo and you go back downstairs and you tuck your uh your moodiness and you try not to act like you know sharon stone which shout out sharon stone okay i wish i could act more like you um i even listened to an interview this week on mark maron with christina ricci where she admitted that when people were reporting like she would do these interviews and she was like no just say crazy shit and make shit up and then they would want to interview me more because i was not giving a fuck and just saying crazy shit and making shit up I understand all of it. It's all starting to come into perspective. And so by the end of this, like I will understand everyone and I will try to bring us all together. Jesus only made it to 33. We're going to see this from all perspectives. We got a good eight months left, right? 
nine months maybe uh, until we're past that point. But until we get past that point, we'll, well, I guess we got a year and nine months because if I make it out to 34, we'll be good. I'm not dying. I'm not planning on dying, but I'm saying that I have been able to see things from all perspectives, from the fan perspective, from the from the inside perspective, from the coming up the ladder perspective, from the uh, putting over Jeff Jarrett perspective, from all these perspectives. I am understanding the the levels of this, and maybe as we continue forward, uh, my shine in the spotlight will prepare me for even more. Right, Peter? That's the idea. Yeah. That I'm going through these tests now so that when I'm on to bigger tests, I will understand them better. But then as I describe this, I feel like I'm just describing steps in life. Uh, is this just living, Peter? Is this just what it is? Gathering new perspectives and understanding things from a new perspective and seeing things that you thought you understood and now seeing that they have a different understanding? I think that's literally the whole thing. Damn. Well, I'm not bored yet. I'll let you know if I'm getting bored. I love it. I still feel fiery passion and emotion for things. This week alone, I'm going to be stomping my foot a little bit and uh, making a deal uh, with the devil once more. Um, I'm trying to build up to fighting John Moxley here. And we talked about it a lot on the show with you know, quite passionate discourse. I talked about it on my Twitch show. And... You never know what you're going to get. You try not to put too much onto it. But I did know this. John Moxley and myself, I had the belief that there were many similarities about us. Based on what I'd heard. Based on our time together. Based on the way I'd seen him wrestle. And uh, I had those thoughts confirmed very deeply. That we are almost identical human beings in a lot of ways. And I don't want to peel the curtain back too much. He has a lot of mystery about him. He is a world champion. But I want to say this phrase, and if you've ever called a match with me, or if you've ever been around me, or if I've ever presented information to you, you've probably heard this. Now, hang on. This is going to sound pretty fucking stupid when I say it, but uh, just hear me out and see if it works. And I said, oh my God, we call matches the same. And we're both worker boys and we're both feeling it out and we're both saying the phrase to each other as if only to remind ourselves, I ain't rushing to it or like, we'll use it if we need it or like, we'll get there when we get there. Don't rush that part. And I'm going, Holy fuck. I'm calling a mirror image match with myself. Now people watching the match would not believe that they would not have any understanding of that. I mean, these are people who still believe that I fucking what choked him against the wall, like a bully in a middle school film and said like, if you're not there and you don't do what I ask, you're going to see the real consequences millionaire. No, we put this together together and we created a story. There's a story. There's a through line to our match. There's a through line to the madness and in accepting the ways and methods of Effie in the end. That is how John Moxley defeated me. That is how he brought me to my knees. That is how he hit the death rider. Now, did I bleed in this match? Yeah, I bled all over the showboat. Now, I sweat a lot, Peter. So when I bleed, you get a good shot of it for a minute, and then I just keep sweating away. And if I'm not pouring buckets, it doesn't work, you know? But I was bleeding. The man was stabbing me. Now, the only thing that not the, the the not only thing that hit my lips. His kisses weren't the only thing that hit my lips, Peter, okay? Because this man also 
smoked a cigarette, and then put the whole cigarette out in my mouth. Now, Peter, I can handle a burn to the tongue. I can even handle, I've had glass broken in my mouth, and I've had to spit out pieces of glass from my mouth. But this man smoked that whole cigarette like an alien would, just ashes long, brother, and stuck that whole burning ember with ash into my mouth. And I know you can imagine this. My mouth is a little dry when I'm out there running and jumping and throwing John Moxley and doing all my dastardly tricks. That is the closest I have come to throwing up in a professional wrestling ring as the hot ashes entered my very dry mouth and it burned. I'm gagging thinking about it right now. But the ashes just coated the whole inside of my mouth. There's no spit to spit. There's no way to get it out. It burns. I'm trying to show people what's happened so they can see that there are cigarette burns in my mouth. Can you... Could, are they still there? Uh, I'm sure there's a mark. I don't think you can see anything. Okay. The mouth heals extraordinarily fast, does. but that doesn't mean it doesn't hold a lot of pain. You ever bit your tongue? Yeah. Oh my God. It made my tongue swell to the point where I sneezed on Sunday and bit my tongue. Like, it was a... It was such an intense sneeze that it bit my, I bit my tongue because it was swollen from being burnt with cigarettes. And I want people to know, John Moxley is a sick fuck because the kiss did not happen until after he burnt my mouth with cigarettes. And I tried my damnedest. I even had Alley Catch come out and punch him in the nuts, which almost secured me a victory, Peter. But in those last moments... Before I was getting put in the Death Rider, when I was punching and kicking and begging for my life, he planted a big kiss right on me. And Peter, I've been a wrestler for a long time. There are moments when you don't have your breath about you. And in the final sequences of a match, when you're giving everything, you definitely don't have your breath in you. And as he smooched my mouth and stuck his tongue in there with all the ash and spit and sweat and blood... And started making sweet passion with our kisses. I couldn't fucking breathe, Peter. I couldn't breathe. And I was on the edge. And I said, if I black out here kissing John Moxley for the title, you know what? I think I've achieved what I needed to achieve. And then I look up. And I'm still alive. And he's looking at me. And I'm looking at him. I'm trying to process what happened as he kissed me. Do we have something here? You have a daughter now. I talked to your wife on her podcast. And then he headbutted me as hard as he could in the head. And people will say, what do you mean as hard as he could? Well, it must have been as hard as he could because he made his own fucking head bleed when he headbutted me in the head. Blood poured from his wound as he headbutted me in the head, scooped me up, and dropped me once again on my dome. Do I remember the three being counted? No. No, I don't. But I do remember looking up from the ground as Ellie Catch walked me to the back and seeing that his head was covered in blood from trying to headbutt me. Now, here's what's funny. John Moxley's friends with Homicide. They've known each other a very long time. When I fought Homicide at Fight Forever, I had recently gotten Botox. I don't talk about this too much, but I like honesty. I haven't gotten Botox uh, in a very long time. I did at one point get it. I'm getting old. I get hit in the head a lot. Uh, it is hard to smile in every picture when I know that I could tighten things up. But here's why I don't. And I told John Moxley this. 
It's like, yeah, Moxley, I got Botox one time. We are talking about it for some reason. I said, and I fought homicide, and he couldn't get the fork into my face. And I told him, I think it's the Botox homicide, and he just kept stabbing my face over and over with the fork, but he couldn't get blood because of the Botox. And I was laughing very hard. I said, I guess I just either got a really strong forehead or it's the Botox. I haven't gotten the Botox in a while, though, but he certainly couldn't get the fork in there. Well, I think I just have a really hard forehead, Peter, because he headbutted me. I remember feeling my brain shift a little, you know, you know how it is. And it cracked his forehead open. So Botox or not, my forehead is nothing to be fucked with. I'm not saying I have the legacy of the Samoans where you don't headbutt the Samoans because this head, the headbutt worked. It knocked me and he beat me. But you're going to take some damage as well when you headbutt Effie in the face. After the match, I tried to collect myself. Obviously, it was the main event of the show. Apologies to all the fans who didn't see me that day. I had a big, big... The only other time I've never come out for like pictures and autographs is when Jeff Jarrett put a guitar over my head. And then in this moment, I could not do it. I did come down later for the late night show, uh, the JCW show. And one of the last matches on that card was <laughs> Matt Justice versus Slade. And they proceeded at 2 in the morning to about you know a third of the crowd, the hardcore fans who are staying out late watching more wrestling, uh, they're psychopaths. <laughs> they beat the fuck out of each other. And then Mancer came out at 2 in the morning. I'm delusional at this point. I'm in the back of the room just watching this show. And challenges Slade to a barbed wire match at the next show. And I'm just like, I'm cooked after 11.30 p.m. and getting beat up. And these guys are still out at 2 in the morning flexing why am i even awake at two in the morning except for to see their own destruction at jcw but it let me know that like i am not one in a million in this sense like there are more of us out here who are psychos i'm in a platform on this particular day where like it's all eyes on me but whether all eyes are on us or not we're still gonna do a bunch of wild ass shit we're still gonna go nuts though we're still gonna beat each other up. We're still gonna challenge each other to barbed wire matches. This is just another night at the office. It just so happens to be against the world champion John Moxley. You know what I mean? The next day is it's a bit of a blur, Peter, because there wasn't a lot of sleep going on in the showboat hotel amongst wrestlers, amongst fans. There never is. It is haunted as shit. I believe that in my heart. It is a very deeply haunted place. Uh, it just has energies that when you're in there, you feel it. And so I wake up and imagine my delusion. I go outside to try to check in on everything and people are getting ready for the show. And I wasn't going to mention that. I like wasn't even going to bring it up. But I saw a report online from someone else that he was there. So I'm not, I'm not breaking anyone's illusions here. I walk outside and I see first Matt Cardona. Second, Maven, which you may not remember Maven, but us hardcore wrestling fans. He kicked The Undertaker out of the Royal Rumble. He was the first winner of Tough Enough. He's the real deal. Maven's the real deal. He was the uh, pastor in Matt Cardona's wedding on this fine Sunday. And the third man standing there is one of the gentlemen who's next door because WWE is having a house show at the arena next door to the showboat on this day, and it's The Miz. And I have to take a moment. Are you familiar with The Miz? No. The Miz is quite possibly the best professional wrestler, sports entertainer of this generation. Now, let me explain why. And all the wrestling fans at home go, I know what he's going to say. Let me explain why. The Miz started out on the real world. 
Oh. And he was on The Real World, Mike Mazanin. And he kept telling people, I'm going to be a wrestler. I'm going to be a wrestler. I'm going to be The Miz. I'm a wrestler, The Miz. And he finished that show and he went on another show called The Challenge and he kept saying it. And then he went on Tough Enough and he kept saying it. And he didn't win Tough Enough. But then I think he went on to uh, enter... And they gave him that chance, and there's early reports of him getting kicked out of the locker room and people not thinking he was earning his stripes. And now, after being in main events of WrestleMania against John Cena, being in uh, many title matches, having the figure four given to him by the retired Ric Flair, he now has his own reality show. He's been paid by the WWE for well over a decade, and he's one of the highest drawing superstars for them as far as, like, you know, length of feud and... and uh, he also is paid very highly, and here's the kicker. Here's why Effie's so obsessed. That man has been having the same match. No offense to the Miz. That man's been having the same match for 10 years. He has not changed his moveset. He has not changed what he's doing. He has gotten heat the whole time, and he has kept himself safe. And so to get to shake that man's hand, and say, it's very nice to meet you, and introduce myself, and have him have an awareness of who Effie is and what I do, and then get to announce to the trio of them, you motherfuckers must have ran off all the smokers, because I was coming out here to smoke weed, and there's no one to be found, and I imagine they didn't want to smoke in front of you three. And then I left. <laughs> that was my experience with The Miz. I am honored to have met The Miz. I think he's the fucking goat. I think there's no one better than The Miz, dude. Uh, but he was there because of Matt Cardona. But in my mind, he was there because he was like, what's going on with this stuff? That's what I kept in my mind. Now, he wasn't the only one there, though. Because if you had told me, when we pulled up to the airport, and it's me and Allie and Dark Sheik and Nick Wayne, I got in the car, and the first thing I said to them was, do you guys remember The Shield? Now, The Shield was Roman Reigns, John Moxley, and Seth Rollins. Seth freaking Rollins, as he is known. And I have a bit of a connection to Seth Rollins. Uh, not like Mander's connection, where he trained at Black and Brave under Seth Rollins, like a lot of other superstars have. No, no, no. Like, uh, like I taught a seminar at Seth Rollins' school to his students and helped them understand how to be more like Effie. And Seth Rollins showed up. He was also at that house show next door. And he watched a lot of this show. And he watched a lot of the matches. And I think... Sometimes you watch and you just want to see what's going on with the next generation of people coming up. They're not all like Effie. A lot of them have aspirations of being television stars or getting contracts or being a part of these shows. And I'm sure Seth Rollins is someone whose opinion they take seriously. So he wants to kind of know what's going on in the scene. GCW has buzz. Uh, but I think there's also, and I might be misspeaking here. I might be overreaching my boundaries. There has to be a confusion amongst everyone in wrestling about the hardcore love for what is going on at GCW. It's not for everyone. I mean, I watched Seth Rollins watch a women's death match between uh, Rina Yamashita and Sawyer Wreck where they were just tubes and pains and cuts and crazy. And he said, I'd never do that. you know. But it doesn't mean he wasn't impressed with it or confused by it. It's almost like they haven't figured out what's going on yet. And they will. They will figure it out. And they are figuring it out. And they can use what they want. We talked about my jacket for a moment. And I told him he could have it. I said, you want it? Go wear it over there. Pop the crowd. I said, baby, because I only wear it for a minute. And then the jacket comes off. 
I got to maintain the cool of the jacket as soon as I take it off. But if you want to use it, take it. He said, I'm not stealing that. I said, all right, that's fine. You can. I give permission. People ask me once a week, what's it like to see other people wearing stuff that's like yours, like Jericho wearing a jacket that was like mine or somebody when Edge came out in a red one. Here's the thing. I don't own spike jackets. I don't own patterns for spike jackets. If you see it and you're reminded of me, fantastic. It means I'm doing a good job. But I could put on anything I wanted and I'd still be effy. I could walk out there wearing anything I wanted and I'd still be effy because I understand that the effy that I'm giving you is not based on what I'm wearing or just the fishnets, which John Moxley unceremoniously ripped off my legs and then later told me it was a great idea. Like, what a fucking move. I said, I know. I said, I don't even know why I bump anymore when I can get that kind of reaction off ripping the pantyhose. I'm not listening to the rules and it fascinates people. I'm not following the steps and it fascinates people. GCW isn't following the steps and it fascinates people. And I think as we kind of grow that reputation and people are figuring it out, there will be a lot of people who are trying to capture the bottle and and watch what we do and add what we do to their product and change what they do a little bit to fit that. But you can't, you can't bottle the sort of electric feeling of just doing whatever the fuck you want. We're not showing up and going like, here's the plan, stick to the plan. This will get over. This is what it does. There's a freedom in just going out there and doing whatever you want and having an office that sort of goes like, have the match you want to have, have fun, you know, don't die. That sets you up to do things in a way where people can tell that you're behind it. People can tell that you're committed to it. People can tell that you are not worried about consequence if the match doesn't go exactly how it was called or if things change or if something happens or uh, if you didn't ask permission for using the extra door. It, it doesn't happen that way. And so when people are trying to watch and mimic things instead of understanding that it's just an energy that produces things that you have to have at its core, uh, they will fail by mimicking. Hopefully, by observing it up front, they'll understand that a little better. Does that make sense, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. Now, with the show, we also had a tag match. And Bussy has been in a dark place since losing our tag team championships. And a lot of people are saying, oh, well, you guys are having singles matches announced. Like, is Bussy breaking up? Bussy doesn't break up. All right? Bussy is always, that's my sister. She came out with me for my title match. And we had a tag match for Sunday, where we had to prove ourselves again to be the best. And we were fighting another couple. You see how this goes. We have to fight a lot of couples. Because it's like, they think, oh, well, Bussy's a man and a woman. They have to fight a man and a woman. Which, it's, it's fine if we do. But we'll also fight a woman and a woman. Or someone who's non-binary and someone else who's non-binary. We'll fight two warthogs. We'll fight two men. We'll fight four men. We don't care. We don't care your gender. We don't care your team. We don't care if you love each other. We don't care if you kiss on the mouth. We don't care if you haven't tried bussying your own home yet, but you want to try it here in public. I get it. We had to prove ourselves against Charlie Evans and Everett Connors, returning to America ever since she took him on his world tour of lovemaking, I think, because they are now living uh, in the overseas places of of and not including to Australia and England, but they were back in the U.S., And a lot of people know Charlie Evans for doing a lot of deathmatch stuff. But I looked at the show and I was like, there's deathmatch on everything. And I'm fucking sore. My shoulder's still not right, Peter, from this title match. For all the goofy stuff we did, I wanted to point out the other stuff and be like, hey, guys. Also, uh, I did get my ass kicked by John Moxley, too. There wasn't just kisses. I kicked his ass a little bit, I hope. It's very sore. We put together 
a really fun tag match. I thought a really fun tag match. It was fun. We were having fun and we were getting there and the speed was kicking up. We were pacing Everett Connors. What a sweet cutie that Everett Connors. He's like the perfect SoundCloud e-boy with his, he's got the little mustache and like dyed hair and he wears cool outfits and he's like, you want to simp for him? And he tricked me a few times with this cuteness, but I got over it. We're getting to the point in the match where like Bussy's going to explode. We're getting it. We're feeling it. Charlie Evans is fired up. And that motherfucker Charles Mason came in the ring and tried to fuck on Charlie Evans in the middle of this match. And then he had the nerve to look at Bussy and be like, Bussy, just pin her and take the win because I'm a bad boy who chokes people. Well, I'm also a bad boy who chokes people, but I don't have to be mean about it. And you can ask permission. And this motherfucker came up to me and started choking me. Now, I don't know if people know this. The night before, John Moxley was choking me. And I want to clear up this spot because I didn't do it earlier. This is the contra- this is one of the controversies. John Moxley put me in a rear naked choke. All right? I was not naked. It's just called that. And as I was about to pass out from the choke, the referee checked my arm. Checked the arm. I had life in my arm. I wasn't dead yet. But instead of letting my arm fall back down, I went to my comfort place when I'm choked. And I put my hand around my nuts, right? All right? Like, you ever been around dudes with nuts or people with nuts? Sometimes they just grab them, all right? Sometimes you don't know and the world is darkening around you as the oxygen is being depleted from your brain. And you just want to reach for comfort. And I reached down there. You ever seen somebody sleeping? They wake wake them up in the morning, they got their hand on their dick. Fell asleep down there. The ref can't check me if my hands are down there. They can't pull my hand out of my pants. He doesn't want to do that. John Moxley's going, he's clearly out. Was I? Was I not? I don't know. But they tried to claim that I was jerking myself off with my hand down my pants. Jerking myself off. Peter, uh, it's not a mystery that in the middle of a match, on pre-workout, and I'm fired up, and I'm sweaty, and I'm remembering things, and I'm being choked. The, the odds of with the amount of blood pumping through my veins elsewhere, of any blood going to my cock, Peter... It's so fucking unbelievably low, it might be an imaginary number, okay? It might not even be a real number. It might be negative six or like one of the I numbers where you like solve for I if X isn't, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Folks, if you want to see me jerk off, okay, you're going to have to turn all the lights off and we're going to have to pretend like nobody's there, all right? Because I got stage fright. But... If I'm getting choked out by a member of the shield and I put my hands around myself so that I can't be deemed out of it for the contest, that is not jerking off. That's not what that is. Okay? Don't make stories up. Don't make things up. Back to being choked by Charles Mason. It awoke something in me and I got pissed off again because I've been reading tweets all day about you did a sex in the ring. Sorry y'all have never seen sex in your life. Sorry you have not once in your whole existence seen a sexual encounter. And you have to assume that when a man sticks his hands down his pants in front of a crowd of a thousand people with John Moxley, formerly of The Shield, choking him, that that must be sex. That's not what sex looks like. That's what Tumblr looks like, you dumbass. I woke something inside of me, and boom, sack rider. You don't choke me, Charles Mason. I sat on his face. And then guess what? Alley catch. Dropped him on his head between her legs. And then, boom, double stomp from the top. Charlie Evans gets back up, chokes his ass to the floor. Everyone wins the match except for Charles Mason. Because sometimes, win or lose, doesn't matter if people want to come fuck with what you're doing. 
And that's the message we were putting out with that match. Now, after this, Allie had to get ready for a wedding. And I was not in the wedding. But <laughs> I almost asked her, who's, who's getting married? Who's getting married? It is the re-engagement of Matt Cardona, or the remarriage of Matt Cardona and Chelsea Green. They're renewing their vows with Maven there, with his parents there, in a macho man suit. And Allie's going to be in the wedding. So is Dark Sheik. She was the flower girl. And so is Jimmy Lloyd, who was the ring boy. And Jimmy Lloyd is in his ring gear and a tuxedo shirt. And they call him out to bring the ring. Jimmy has lost the ring. Classic. Jimmy. Classic wedding. Has lost the ring. And he can't find it anywhere. And that was just the start of Matt Cardona's troubles. Because after this, Nick Gage came out. Alley Catch uh, put Chelsea Green into a cake and then pile drove her ass into it. Nick Gage beat up Matt Cardona with light tubes. And a pizza cutter on his wedding day. Everybody went home very happy after the chaos. Maven ran away and said he's not helping Matt Cardona. It was a beautiful celebration. Uh, and I don't know what the fuck he expected to happen. He was so excited about his wedding. He was like, oh, my friends are here. This is so great. What do you think is going to happen with a wrestling wedding, dude? The only thing that can happen, which is... It gets fucked up. All wrestling weddings get fucked up, Matt Cardona. How could you not know this in your Randy Savage outfit? Otherwise, though, I had a great time at the show. Allie looked gorgeous in her dress. Everyone seemed to have a good time. Uh, there was just, if you work at the Showboat Hotel, God bless you, because there's just like blood and cake, and it's a mess in that backstage area after we're done with it, after every show. But this one, most especially, a disastrous mess. I got to fly out of Atlantic City because up until September, they have a direct flight, Atlanta to Atlantic City. But that night afterwards, we finished the show very early because it's actually a four o'clock show so people could go to the house show next door. I did not go to the house show next door. I could have gone, but it doesn't matter. I was over wrestling at that point. This is what it always comes down to is like, I wrestle all weekend, and then there's a wrestling event that I didn't realize was nearby as well, and I go, I can't do it. And then everybody else goes, and they meet everybody and hang out and vibe and take pictures, and I go, I guess I could have done that, but I'm also done with it. And I don't know if that's going to help or hurt me in the end, but I don't really need to see any more wrestling after I've done that much wrestling. But if you can handle that much wrestling, more power to you. And a lot of people did go. Most of the wrestlers went to the wrestling show. Afterwards, everybody kind of dipped down. We're the only ones left. And who was there with me in the end? Dark Sheik. Who was there on day one in Denver? Who was there on day two with John Moxley? And who I was there for day three against Maki Ito? Maki Ito, a superstar. Maki Ito gave Dark Sheik some candy. They seemed to have an incredible match. And I said, Dark Sheik, I can tell you had an incredible match. And she said, why? And I said, because you have not stopped smiling since 7 p.m. today when you finished your incredible match and you were a flower girl in the wedding. And she was like, I think you're right. I think I did have a fun time match. And I'm glad it shows on my face. And I think in this week, I've had every emotion possible over fucking professional wrestling. I found joy and sadness and anger and uh, frustration and uh yeah, I don't know. What are the other emotions, Peter? You know, I'm sure I felt them over some fucking pro wrestling asset. And now looking forward, I have uh, a very fucked up set of months ahead that are going to be wild and rowdy and defining and concrete for my legacy. But 
this newfound attitude has to stay because I need the world to know that if you're fucking with me, if you're trying to fuck with Effie, if you're trying to fuck on Effie, no, I wasn't going to reveal this, but I am going to reveal this. Before we went out for our match Saturday night, me and John Moxley, after we had talked about everything, after we figured out our consent line, he looked at me and he said, fucking on him. And I go, yeah. And he goes, don't you say that? Don't you say you're going to fuck on him? And I go, yeah, Effie is going to fuck on him. If they fuck on me, I'm going to fuck on him back. And he goes, yeah, because that's the best shit. Fuck on him. You're just going to fuck on him. And I was like, you're damn right. I'm going to fuck on him. So to have him look at me right before we went out there and remember that he had heard fuck on him from me, whether through his wife's podcast or whatever other reason I was running around yelling, I'm going to fuck on you. Don't confuse what fuck on him means. doesn't mean I'm going to fuck you. I don't want to fuck you. doesn't mean I'm going to have sex with you, especially not against your will. That sounds horrible. You think I can get an erection around someone who doesn't think I'm sexy and want to have sex with me? No way. Consent is the hottest thing for me. But when I'm fucking on him, it means that if you want to come try me, if you want to come play games with Effie, if you want to think that Effie is one thing or another, you want to talk some shit, I will fuck on you. And fucking on you means I will ruin everything around you with no hesitation, with no regret. Because you have shown me you don't have respect for me. And when you don't have respect for Effie, you get fucked on. What does that mean? It means I could emotionally just ruin your life by saying a few things that the rest of the world should have said before. Might mean I beat your ass in an alley and leave you there. Might mean that I take your wife from you. Might mean I fuck your wife and then bring her back to you. And then you say, what happened, Effie? No, I fucked on you. You know, you fucked my wife. And I go consensually and because you can't do it. I don't know what I'm saying anymore, Peter, but it made me very excited. I'm not fucking anybody's wife. I'm not doing that. <laughs> that would be real fucked up, though, if you were like, I'm gay, but I still fucked your wife better than you just because you were rude to me. Oh, that's borderline hateful. And she'd be like, he doesn't even love me. He's gay, but he fucked me so much better than you ever have. That's fucking on people. Yeah. And it's you shouldn't have to do it all the time. I don't want to have to fuck on people, but I'm letting them know I'm going to fuck on them. And John Moxley knew that Effie fucks on people. And he, uh, John Moxley doesn't get on Twitter. I know why. <laughs> I get it. There's one story I'm going to tell on the bonus episode that is the cutest story you've ever heard about John Moxley. I can't tell what it. What a tease. I cannot tell it here. It's a two-part story. It's the cutest thing ever. I only feel comfortable putting it on the Patreon because I trust the people on my Patreon. I've looked through the list that they are not going to go around bragging about this story. But I will leave you with fucking on them as far as that goes. Peter, uh, I'm fired up. Can you tell? Yeah. I came in like real in a mood this week, and I needed to just get it out of me. It's been a moody week. <sighs> That's it. Uh, I did go see a movie this week that we're going to talk about uh, on the mini-sode, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Ooh, I hear good things. Incredible. Incredible. Magic film. I'm glad A24 put it under their banner. I didn't know much about it at first. And AJ was like, I want to go see the gay movie. And I was like, we're going to go see it. What is it? And I showed up kind of with no knowledge. Incredible. Amazing. Marvelous. Uh, Peter, do we have any questions? We do. I need to take a pee break, though. Let's take a quick pee break, and we'll get to that. I'm going to say real quick, uh, 
weekendateffies at gmail.com for any sponsorship opportunities you want to do. We will put you over on here. We've had a huge uptick in listenership. Thank you for listening. And we also now have a Patreon. Since we didn't have sponsors for a few weeks, we're not going to force the sponsors, but we do need the support. Weekend at Effie's Patreon is patreon.com slash weekend at Effie's. There are two tiers. I have not defined the difference between them yet other than please support us and please support us even more. I will be adding a lot more stuff to it today. What do you get on the Patreon, Peter? You get... Early minisodes. access. Early access to episodes. Bonus content. AJ, my partner, just doing miraculous shit that you wouldn't believe if I just set it on here, like winning tickets immediately on a claw machine in the first try. I go, I'll film you. Ugh. He just does it. There's and a rare childhood photo of myself on Patreon. Currently. Whoa. Have rare? You, have, have you seen this? I, I've not looked. I fucked up. I need to see this. Sometimes I just throw a post up and I don't even look at anything. This is incredible. Hold on. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my god weekly questions on here would be great this is this is one of the best photos of all time fucking on it peter <laughs> just showing the world what what you're all about that is i don't want to even describe that photo just please subscribe to the patreon it helps us out tremendously number one but number two you're going to get a lot closer to everything uh, that we're doing and we're trying to put up more. Peter has access now, so he's clearly putting some stuff up and we're trying to define a more definable schedule would be good, but we're figuring it out. You're still going to get early access and many sods. We can Effie's Patreon, search it, look it up. We're tweeting about it and uh, follow the Twitter. We can Effie's. I got to go check the Twitter too. You know, we're also on TikTok. Also weekend at Effie's it's chaos. Over it there. is chaos on the TikTok. I would like to joke real quick before you go pee that, I specifically asked you to do certain TikToks. They never go big. And then the ones where I'm just running my mouth and talking shit go huge. So hopefully this week with a little more shit talking, the Patreon, I mean, the TikTok will be even crazier. I personally have a TikTok. Peter tags me in the TikTok. I have not put up a TikTok in so long, nor do I understand the concept. Really, every time I get on TikTok, I search for myself. There's a ton of clips of me with a ton of views that are not just weekended effies. And then I get mad that other people got my views and then I log off. That's how it goes. It's kind of incredible the stuff that people will tag us into. Like it's it really is a perfect dumpster fire of the internet at yes. this point. And then I even started looking at some of the duets of the content you're putting up. Uh wow. It's yeah. I don't know why. Uh I don't know why we let some people onto the internet. I don't know. Pretty crazy. I guess you have to. I guess that's how it works. Uh, yeah. I get why super billionaires are like, we have to limit people's access to things, right? And you're like, what? No, you can't. Li we all have rights. And they're like, I know, but really? <laughs> I do want to say one more thing about the Patreon, though. There was uh, asking for like a merch discount code for Effie stuff. I'm going to do that. That will be done. I'm still waiting on the weekend at Effie's merch here that will be available, but it's coming. I'm slow. It's been a it has been a difficult summer being Effie in as far as maintaining time and business. If there were two of me to be back of house and one could just be front of house, it'd be incredible. It's not happening. Welcome. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, I'll have a uh, new prince on Friday. Ooh, Peter Prince. Uh, I love that. What are I'll, they of? Do you have a descriptor or are we just going to go, go into the, unknown? we're, so we're doing more of those doors, the door Ooh, entities. Yes. Um, I'm doing like larger art prints. I found a printer. I really like that love makes that. like really detailed watercolor paper. 
Ooh. Yeah, it's going to be nice. It's going to look rowdy. It's going to be nice. I'm excited. Um, so those will be up on Friday. Uh, I have my Etsy link on the episode description, and it's also on my Twitter, at Low Sky Dance. Low Sky Dance. All right. And another thing we're doing for Patreon is like we've just been getting so many questions lately, so I'm just going to preload the Patreon one. So we'll do like a weekly call for stuff that you want to hear on the podcast. Um and then those will get answered first. Okay, perfect. Perfect. I love that. Okay, this is from Ian. I have a question. Is there an item you are afraid to own, like something you want but fear? Oh man, this is like a this is a pretty intense question. Yeah, it Peter. is a pretty intense question. Is there an item I want to own but I fear it? Um the answer I'm going to give is really fucked up. Okay. Um, Do you I want me to go first? Yeah, will you go first? Okay. So <laughs> I'm not sure I even want to own it, but the, the creepy, I'll just say the creepiest item that I've had the ability to purchase. So I used to be like really big into thrifting and just going to rent. It's like really good in Atlanta. And I used to just get on Craigslist and find like random warehouses where they'd be like liquidating stuff from a bunch yeah. of businesses. So, like, I found one that had, I got an actual, um, like, museum display case with, like, the red velvet Ooh. on the inside and everything. Super nice. But they also had a, an electroshock machine that was used, like, all the way back uh, early 20s. And the vibe around that thing was just off. Yeah. Like, you didn't want to be in the same room. Do you think it. it was absorbing the evils of these people? I think it people? was. Yeah, it was really old. Was this used as like a therapeutic device for people who weren't acting or living the way they wanted them to? Yes. Oh, and it just like existed. Yeah. Mine was going to be like a like a a way a, a way darker answer, but I'm actually not going to answer with that. I'm going to answer with this. You remember that sick barbed wire painting you gave yeah. me? Yeah. So it's still in my house, but I'm not allowed to have it in any space where AJ can see it. Right. Because he says if he sees it, he's throwing it out because it's haunted. And he's told me this. And Peter, I, I'm not confronting you here, but is there a darker history to this piece? Uh, I'm going to describe it. It's red velvet. It's wood framed. And it has every type of barbed wire in a small segment listed and paneled. But he's like, it says he, it gives him the, the super creeps. He can't look at it or he'll throw it away. It shouldn't be in our house. It makes him nervous. I did get that. I got that at like a Goodwill somewhere. Yeah. So I don't. I don't so we have don't like, really know the history of this thing at all. No, it's it, in my home. It was well. It's it was in my home, and I like regularly blast the energy out of everything. So as long as my protocols are like up to, up to par, it should be clean. Okay. All right. Yeah. What about my energies though? You don't think they could have oh, reinfected it? I don't if it's possible. I mean, did, did <laughs> I tell you that one of the last times he came over to record, I took Lucy out in the backyard and I looked over to the exact spot where you are and there was just a white figure standing there. What? That, and then just like walked off and down the hallway. What? Yeah. When was this? This was like a month ago. Look, this stuff happens to me so regularly <laughs> oh, that like it doesn't no. really stick out. <laughs> oh, Peter, what have I done? <laughs> I, I'm not saying it was specifically you. It could have been me. I mean, I'm constantly invoking. So There's things around me that I don't fully understand, but 
Maybe there's watchers. I don't know. Yeah, that barbed wire is really creepy, though. So I'm not surprised that he okay. has that feeling. That's fair. I think we're going to use it in a death match at one point. But I think we're going to have to get tetanus shots if we let that barbed wire into our skin, right? It is rusty. Yeah, rusty. Okay, maybe not in a death match. I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, I hope the white figure doesn't come back or doesn't mean harm. Uh, it seems fun. Great question. Cursed items. You know, the most cursed item to own uh, is your parents' inheritance. <laughs> this <laughs> because, is true. Because it's not, once you own it, you don't want it. It's magic. Oh, yeah. I'm just, I'm thinking of the metaphysical inheritance from our parents as well. And yeah, I had that thought the other day where I was like, oh my God, I was created by these two people. Of course, I'm both of them. You know, it's a weird thing to think about. Uh, okay, this is from Rick. What has been the best movie that you've seen in the last five years? It says movie, so we, I think we can give a couple. Um, I'll go first on this one just because I saw some wrestling memes on the Twitter of it. I think Psycho Goreman is one of the most delightful films that has been made in the past couple of decades. It's wonderful, and it has child actors who don't make me want to cut my face yes. off. I hate child actors. Like I can't stand watching children act. They don't have any propensity for acting. They don't have any human experience. They're just repeating things. And for this movie to work, you had to have kids who are like, like the little girl is perfect. She's incredible. And the writer of Psycho Goreman follows me on Twitter, Peter. Oh, how fucking sick is that? That's amazing. So thank you for your beautiful art. Thank you for creating Psycho Goreman. He's an also a gay film. icon. He's a gay icon. He's a gay icon. We're all gay icons, aren't we? Me, you, Barbara Walters. Just, oh, I'll bust out my Barbara Walters here one day. It takes a little lead in. Um, okay, last five years. So that goes 22 back to like 17 almost. Yeah. Oh my God. Time is time is of the essence. Like, I don't <sighs> This is hard, Peter. I don't... This is a difficult question in the sense, like, I don't have much preference over any, like, I'm glad I've seen every movie I've seen, and I love movies, and I watch so many of them, and I use them to inform my discussion, uh, and I can't say Phantom Thread, because no one will care, clearly. Um, when did The Master come out? <laughs> I think... I'm I think actually a little bit early. That might be, like, a decade old at this point. I don't want to talk about how old we are. We're old now, right? Uh, and then Bad Boy 3 came out way before that. I still feel that. nine, to be honest with you. Yeah? Yeah, I've perpetually felt nine. I think I, I've i been 14 since I was 14. That's like that's where I can put it at. I'm just like an adult with a beard who's 14 years old. Uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe it was a kid's movie. Maybe it was Toy Story 4. 2012 is when The Master came Fuck out. Fuck me. God. That's a full decade That's ago. when I graduated from college. Bro, you my... were 18 or no, uh, 2008 high school, right? High school graduation in 2008, college graduation in 2012. Who would have guessed I graduated in four years? I think I took as many drugs as I took courses over at the University of South Carolina. <laughs> so, do you have an answer for the movie? I don't have a real answer. Okay. I'll we'll just I go with the master. How about that? Yeah, whatever. That's the best movie. As Paul Thomas Anderson's classic film, The Master. Uh, okay, this is from Julie. This is a two-parter. 
Peter, I want to hear more interesting stories from your childhood. I love learning about what it's like to grow up in different cultures. Um, have I told my experience of watching Star Wars as a kid? I don't know if you told that on here. I mean, you told me that it like kind of like it was episode one kind of coming in, right? Yeah. Uh, well, or is this I, older Star Wars? This is so. This was older Star Wars. I was reminded of this because a movie podcast actually brought up this phenomenon. Um, what? So uh, when we we didn't always have a VHS player. But when we started getting, like, when we got one and you started, like, the accumulation of, you know, all the movies and everything. So I had the OG original Star Wars release, like, I think, like, the CBS one or whatever, like, the original cut. And um, I was watching Return of the Jedi. And, okay, here's a weird Kenyan cultural thing. So if you're a missionary, you automatically, just because, like, your money goes so much further over there the like common thing to do is to hire like a, like a nanny or a maid or like a housekeeper. And so we had a housekeeper that lived with us the entire time. Both my parents taught at a a Christian college. So I was like mostly around our housekeeper, Nancy. Oh wow! She also had, she made really good tortillas. Homemade tortillas. Yeah. And in in Nairobi. And so all the, all the missionaries like really wanted, you know, cause they're always like jonesing for food that they can't get in Africa. So our phone would ring like one to five for tortilla orders. (laughs) Like she was so busy. (laughs) It was really funny. So I was watching, it's like the end, um, fight scene, like the star battle. Yeah. And she comes into the room and she was like, are they speaking Kikuyu? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, well, rewind back a little bit. And it's the scene of Lando and the alien that just has like full Phantom of the Opera face mask. Yeah, yeah. And apparently he was speaking Kikuyu, which is like one of the tribal languages spoken in Kenya. And it was just nonsense. Like it didn't, it didn't like have anything. He was just to, saying words yeah, of was that just, language. Yeah. And she knew it. And so, she knew it and was just like laughing her at, like she thought it was the funniest thing. Now you're saying a podcast brought up that they had also yeah, they, figured they out that he was about speaking Kikuya. In the 80s, when that movie debuted in Kenya specifically, audiences just started laughing at that end battle scene. And like the movie didn't hit as hard over there just because they were like, this is ridiculous. He's just saying words, ham sandwich fly in the train, but it's Kikuya. And she noticed. Exactly. So you knew this your whole life. Mm -hmm. You just like had this knowledge. in the And to be honest, that was when I was like, I don't think I really like star Wars that much. (laughs) Well, that's the, like, that's the George Lucas joke of everything is like, you know, it's obviously a franchise that has made more than most movie franchises will ever make. And it was built on him creating the original film, Star Wars, which was then kind of retitled A New Hope. And he said, oh, I planned the whole trilogy. I planned everything. When in reality, he's just like putting together nonsense words from another language because he needs another alien language. Yeah. And he's running out of things and nothing makes sense. And we have to retcon everything. And there's a new series and it's not going to include him. And they're like, this doesn't make sense. And we're like, none of it ever made sense. George Lucas needs Adderall. Like <laughs> he is just reaching for anything he can get. Is there a, is there like a weird tribal language we could just throw with the aliens? Does anybody know? It's probably somebody who was there who was like, I speak Kikuya. Should we just use that? Nobody I will mean, know. It's, it's Swahili is mostly what's spoken. 
So it's it's it felt like him like oh no one will know what this actually is. There was but a guy like, on Dateline who was uh, told his wife he could speak five languages, including Swahili, and one guy was interviewed about it, and he was like, I mean, he told me he was speaking Swahili. He could have been saying anything, <laughs> and so that's sort of the yeah 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 whatever. Just put some words in that language, it'll be fine. It'll be cool. <laughs> Uh, I love that childhood stories from Peter on new segment. There's a lot out there. The picture I just saw that's on the Patreon of you with the, I can't even, I don't even want to spoil this for people. Incredible. Marvelous. People wouldn't have, they'd have no idea. And this is, this goes back to the point of like, you see somebody, you can't judge anybody on a first look. You have no idea. You have no idea. We're deep. Is there a second part? Yes, there is. Okay. okay, this is for Effie. I think you mentioned either on this podcast or Renee's that you almost went to culinary school, and I also love your delight in a good breakfast di- breakfast dish. Yes. So my question is, what is the best breakfast food or meal you've ever had? Do you think you would ever publish a guide to breakfast around the States based on your extensive travel? Okay, so the only That's, reason the transition from a wrestling show into Effie's Big Gay Brunch is now like a Rachel Ray style <laughs> diners, drivers, and dives uh, book. Yes, we are we are checking the as Ellie says, we're just the dives. <laughs> um, the only reason I wouldn't put together a book is because with the internet now and with the speed of businesses occasionally of the places we go to, sometimes these places wouldn't exist by the time we like publish it. But I will say this. Any breakfast that includes a really big cinnamon roll with a lot of icing covered in a pat of butter is the best breakfast. Breakfast should always end with a big cinnamon roll for everybody to eat together, for everybody to fork into. Uh, My breakfast budget's out of control because I will not just get one dish. Like I'm going to get chilaquiles and a piece of pie and pancakes. I'm going to get the... Uh, corned beef hash dish with eggs and bacon and sausage and pancakes and then maybe some more. I don't know. Like, I'm going to order a lot of food. And so for me, like, to define it down to one meal, I feel like I'm avoiding the question. But it's very hard because I'm going into every town and I'm just checking the brunch menus. I will say in Columbus, Ohio, uh, what is the place called? I'm trying to remember it because... I don't see this is the problem. I can't remember the places anywhere. I have no permanence with anything, Peter. Like I enjoy things. I seek them out. I research them. I understand them. And then it's like, it's almost the same as calling a wrestling match where like you spend all day obsessing over this 15 minute portion. You know what you're going to do. You do it. And then you forget it ever existed. And I hate saying that I forget breakfast exists, but it's like you look for it, you research it, you find the breakfast. And then once it's gone, I don't like hold it in. You know, I can't like, I remember there was a sick cow cafe next to O'Hare where we had a perfect breakfast made by the best Mexican chefs in all of Chicago, but I can't tell you the name of the restaurant, (laughs) you know, like it's, we need scribes out here. My brain works very well in some ways. I'm a genius. I'm an idiot. I love being both. Breakfast is the only meal that matters. Every other meal forces itself upon you. Breakfast, you wake, you're hungry, you break your fast. It's the only meal that matters. Agreed. Everything else is snacks along the day. You want me to sit down for a big meal at 6 p.m., 7 p.m.? We got stuff to do. I'm going to eat a piece of pizza and move on with my day. But breakfast, when we've awoken before we've started this journey, that's the focal meal. That's where that's where it all should be. I don't need to check back in with you before the night falls. Afternoon, I'm like, not on your schedule, you know? Let's have breakfast, and then we'll move on. 
<laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, all right. This question's from Tony. Hello, Peter and Effie. Love the show. My question is for both of you. What is your favorite Lego video game out of all the Lego video games available? All right. So this is the one I paid, played while on pain pills because I think I was having a tooth taken out. And it's Lego Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> Amazing. And it's ridiculous. Uh, it follows, obviously, kind of the same Lego gameplay deal. But to just go around and be pirates and be on ships and like deal with weird water creatures made of bricks, I love it. I love seeing how they utilize the bricks and everything and how the weird bricks come back. And also, I owned that like big original Lego pirate ship growing up. And so like playing pirate Lego Jealous. games. Yeah. Playing pirate Lego games sort of like brings me back to like playing Legos when they were pirates. And you're like, that's what Legos are. They're pirates. I'm eight, you know? My own, the only big set I ever got was the space station. Oh, yeah. that's pretty sick. Yeah. No, my, um, my aunt told me this later that apparently she would just like, she was like trying to spoil the shit out of me because, you know, missionary parents and everything. Yeah. And so she would like get stuff for me. And then my dad would like have to run through and check what she had gotten me and would just like deny stuff all oh. the time. Oh. And so she had all this stuff like squared away. And one of them was the like big spaceship as she was like, fuck you and gave it to me for Christmas one year. I mean, you'd think they'd be into spaceships because Jesus did come back to rescue everyone in the heaven's gate on a spaceship. We know that that's like built that's into fact. American history. Why do you think they wore cool shoes? They're going on a spaceship. God, get it together, people. I excessively played the Lego Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Games. Pretty fun. I have it on my phone as a mobile game. I also have the original Lego Star Wars on my phone as a mobile game. Uh, sometimes you're on the plane and you're just like, it's time to play Legos. It's time to play my Lego games. Uh, the the real I think my favorite one was. Do you remember the island like Lego Island? Yes. Like the oh OG. my god, I had it on. PC. I think that was my favorite. Welcome to Lego Island. It was great. And you were like kind of a cop, but not really. You were like kind of a bad cop. So like all cops are bad, but maybe Lego cops are okay because you can change out their body parts. I don't know. But I loved Lego Island. Had so many weird little things. It felt like having GTA before GTA. Yeah, You're like, I can just run around the whole island and get in this car. And then you play GTA and you're like, I've been doing this. I, this isn't new. Y'all didn't come up with anything new. You know, they almost based the new one off Atlanta. Did they? Yeah. It's just, uh, the problem with it is it's, it would be interesting to explore for a minute and then you'd have to just start exploring Trump country and it would get real dark, but maybe that's what they wanted. I, yeah. Where'd they go with instead? Barcelona? I think they're doing Miami. Miami. I think they're finally going to do like a, uh, Vice City revamp. Oh, with the full Miami experience mm-hmm. and include Fort Lauderdale too. Do the whole trek. Uh, probably. I don't know. We'll see. Time to find out. Hope you can go in the Everglades, catch you a gator or a big snake. But then you could do like a Dexter play and just do serial killer with a heart of gold, they, I guess. They've never done like a real expansive serial killer game, have they? I don't know. You just kind of so. got to like prepare ahead. Like I would want it to be more preparation than just committing the murder. Like it's, I like, guess, Hitman's kind of. Yeah. I guess you have to spin it with the secret. It's a little... You know, Hitman's such a good game that Loki based his whole career on it. It's incredible. doesn't matter. I'm making a reference to people out here that are going to cackle it, cackle about Brandon. Okay, this question is from Amanda. Hi, a couple episodes ago, Effie said that no one reads anymore, reads books anymore. 
He said he suggested books to people in the locker room. I still read books and I'm always looking for something new to read. So I was wondering what you were suggesting. If you remember, I know you're a busy guy. So what are the books that you've been trying to recommend to people that they haven't taken you up on? Well, okay. I've recommended both of the last two Michael Pollan books to people. Uh, He just had a Netflix series come out about plants sort of, but like he's done uh, the consciousness one about like ayahuasca and uh, like weird DMT stuff. But the new one about plants is about caffeine uh, opium and, uh, I want to say maybe mescaline mescaline is the third one. So I was trying to put that over. I love nonfiction. I also, I love Stephen King books. I love horror books, scary books. Uh, I've been recommending Dianetics to people, you know, really changed my life. I'm just kidding. I do keep a copy of Dianetics in my house for when people to come over and kind of look, look at the books and have to at least like, do you approach it or not? Do you approach the Dianetics question or not? Uh, most don't. And I just leave it alone. But at least they have in the back of their mind, like, I don't know. I saw a copy of Dianetics in there. I once, back when I was a mover, I have a pretty extensive book collection. Because when I was a mover, people would get rid of their books. They would just be like, I don't want them. Or, you know, I I think of an art teacher that we moved into assisted living one time. She gave me all of her art books. So... So I have like all these hardcover like Goya and Monet and Manet, oh, you know, like big books. But I also have the Tony Bennett watercolor book, which is not like a book you read, but it's just a full book of Tony Bennett's watercolors. Yes, that Tony Bennett. Uh, he loves doing I had watercolors. no idea. Yeah. I just started reading Heat 2, which is uh, Michael Mann's novel sequel to the original film Heat. So pretty excited about that. Uh, are they making a second heat or is this just a novelization? He said he's just making the book for now. They're thinking about, they're going to maybe license oh the God. rights to make another movie, but he says it's hard because everybody's old. You know, you can't like jump right back into Al Pacino when he's, I don't know. Maybe you can with the Dunkachino. I'm Al Pacino and this is a Dunkachino. Crazy too much. Uh, I wish I had a better list here. All these recommendations today, I don't I don't keep things on the forefront. I probably should start keeping a list. Maybe it's something we add to the Patreon, like what's Effie reading? What's Peter reading? Uh, I don't know. We'll see what we get to. But just read. Reading is great because it forces your mind to put the things on the screen. Your mind is a screen, right? People always tell me, they're like, I get tired reading. Are you, re- are you just reading or are you using it as a platform for imagination? Because you should be able to turn that text into mind view where you want to keep reading to know because you're seeing it in your head. You know, that's why people are like, I didn't like the movie. I like the book. Well, because they already made up a whole thing in their head. The movie, you take it and it's there and you see it. And what's on the screen is there. Finnick. It was a book. Who knows? You know, is there a whole nother thing you added in your brain? You can. You're allowed to. Nobody can control your thoughts yet until we get the chip. <laughs>